Welcome to the Pull Down Podcast, a refrigeration-focused podcast. This is going to be episode number two, the basics of dairy refrigeration, and I'm your host, Joshua Monk. Now, dairy refrigeration is a niche part of the industry, but living in the heart of Amish country in central PA, it's something I work on on a daily basis. So some of the major differences between normal commercial refrigeration and dairy refrigeration is the evaporator. Normal commercial refrigeration, you have a thin coil evaporator with fans. And on dairy refrigeration, you don't have that. You have a stainless steel plate that is your evaporator. And instead of fans, you have an agitator, which is um, like a shaft with a paddle on the end. And a motor rotates that paddle and it forces the milk down and across the plate. And that's where we get our heat transfer from. As far as metering devices go, there's three main metering devices used on dairy refrigeration. One is your normal expansion valve. Um, And on dairy refrigeration, we want our superheat to be between 6 and 10 degrees superheat at the outlet of the evaporator. We also have fixed orifice metering devices. And how those are charged on dairy refrigeration is at the condensing unit by the compressor. There is a suction accumulator with a sight glass in it. And when the milk sullies 45 degrees, 45 to 40 degrees, to charge it accurately, there's a ball in that sight glass and you want that ball to be floating halfway in that sight glass on that suction accumulator. The other metering device is something that's proprietary to Mueller, the Paul Mueller company. They make a unit that's called a high perform unit where we are fully flooding the evaporator. They use a valve at the condensing unit called a subcooling valve and that is throttling to maintain 15 degrees of subcooling at the liquid line leaving the evaporator that way we're fully flooding the evaporator and if you would check superheat at the suction line on the outlet of the evaporator you're going to have zero to two degrees superheat and the way we protect the compressor in that scenario is there is a heat x accumulator at the condensing unit. So our liquid line goes through and our suction line goes through. And Mueller on their design is counting on that liquid line, gaining subcooling as it's going through because it's gonna be um, exchanging heat between the suction line. And they're also banking on the suction line gaining 18 to 20 degrees of superheat in that heat X accumulator. Another way people are controlling refrigerant flow through the evaporator, especially on robot milking setups, is uh, like a pulse width modulation where the, there's like a solenoid valve that opens and closes um, on rotation for so many seconds. It'll be open and then close, open and then close. And they do that because robots milk a lot slower than what people do. So they'll have the cooling on for a minute or two and then they'll have the cooling off and some of them even cycle the condensing unit which i think is a terrible idea we'll have the condensing unit run for a minute or two and then shut off for a minute or two and now what the paul Paul mueller company does is they use digital unloading scrolls for their robot setups so um the compressor will be loaded for two seconds and then unloaded for three depending on the load and it does that if they have a proprietary board in there where they're measuring suction pressure, suction temperature, liquid line temp, 
discharge pressure because they also will uh, run the fan up and down a uh, variable speed fan they have a controller in there their own that they use to ramp up and down to control head pressure those are usually on those high perform units to uh, maintain subcooling at 15 degrees but that's something else that um, some companies do now the milk tanks themselves range in size um, up to 8,000 gallons anything bigger than that you need to get a silo which I'm not going to get into that because a whole nother podcast on its own but the milk tanks are normally stainless steel construction um, they're insulated inside normally how they're built there's a stainless steel plate that's spot welded to another stainless steel plate and then they force nitrogen through to expand the difference in size between the two plates and then that's where they get their BTU capacity from um, the size between the plates determines the BTU capacity and now with all them spot welds those are the spots where a lot of times the tanks will leak the milk tanks will leak refrigerant through the stainless steel plate at them spot welds. So to find it, what we normally do is we cut the tank free, isolate it, pressurize it with 100 psi of nitrogen, and then we jump inside the tank with an ultrasonic leak detector or a miner scope, something of that nature. And we have to pinpoint the leak. Once we pinpoint the leak, we then have to cut the outer shell of the tank, cut a hole in it, pull the insulation out with a TIG welder, a weld, the spot weld, verify, fix the leak, put the insulation back, put the piece back on that I cut out and tack it in place and then we caulk it and then go from there. Now with milk tanks, since this is food processing, we're using food grade um, equipment, the tank Normal milk tank, they get picked up every other day, so they'll have four milkings, four to six milkings depending on the farm. Some milk two times a day, some milk three. But normally they get picked up every other day. So when the tank's full, milk hauler shows up, pulls the milk out, and then takes off. So before the farmer can milk again and put milk back in the tank, we have to clean the tank. So you can hand wash a tank if it's small enough. That's not really recommended. Um, another thing you can do is they have electric wash motors, usually 240 volt motors. And then there's a wash box with timers and relays. So how it normally goes is there's a hot rinse. So it sprays hot water and rinse the tank. And then we have a hot wash, which it mixes detergent with our water as it's filling the tank. And then it sprays that for a set period of time, depending on the size of the tank. Then that drains out, and then we do another hot rinse, rinses the inside of the tank again with hot water, get all the detergent out. And then there's a cold acid sanitize cycle where it mixes cold water with some sanitizer in the tank and it sprays that down to sanitize the stainless. And then the tank is clean and ready to go for the next milking. Now fresh raw milk coming out of the cow is gonna hit the tank between 90 and 94 degrees. So our goal is to get that milk normally. Our thermostat cutout is 36, 37 degrees, and our cutting is 40. We want to keep that milk 40 or below because that way we can keep bacteria from growing and it can be stored longer. Now the milk coming out, the fresh raw milk, has natural antibodies from the cow. 
So first milking, the farmer can get away with not having um, his cooling working properly. As long as his milk doesn't get below like 70, 75 degrees because the natural antibodies in the milk from the cow that'll keep bacteria from growing will still be alive. But once we start getting that milk colder, we kill off those natural antibodies. And that's why we have to get it below 40. That way bacteria doesn't start to grow. That's first milking, they get away with it being longer, four to five hours. Now, second through sixth milking, depending on the farm, um, while they're milking those additional milkings, they already have milk in the tank. So they're dumping hot milk in and mixing it with their milk that's already 38 degrees. You do not want that milk temperature on your thermostat to get above 45 because you will start having bacteria grow from that milk. Now farmers, they get bonuses based on um, bacteria counts and butterfat content and stuff in their milk. So good, efficient cooling system uh, benefits the farmer greatly. One thing some farms have that others don't, this is mainly on bigger farms, um, but some smaller farms have them too, where they have what they call a plate cooler, which is just a, like a plated heat exchanger with gas that gets in between. You send cold milk through one side or glycol and your hot milk through the other before it hits the tank. That way your milk is 60 or 55 or 70 degrees before it hits the tank, greatly reducing your BTU load. Um, a lot of big farms have this, so they don't need as big a units on their tank to get the milk cold enough within the time period they want it to get cold. Some smaller farms have smaller ones and then maintenance on them. You got to clean them um, just like you do their pipeline when they're done milking. And also the gaskets in between the plates have to be replaced every so often because they'll start leaking milk out of them and then they get all crusty and curdly and it smells really bad. Now dairy is in my area. Um, it's probably a 50-50 split electric farms and we call it diesel setups which are the Amish dairy farms and how those work since they don't get power from the pole is they have a diesel engine that runs a line shaft and then they run their vacuum pump off that for milking. They run their air compressor off that. Um, they use their air pressure to run their well pump, to run their washing machine, and then you know air tools and other stuff on the farm. And it also runs some alternators to charge batteries, and then runs their cooling compressor, which is an open drive compressor. And then we have to put the correct flywheel and sheave on the line shaft. Um, we have to size those properly to get the correct compressor RPMs because our RPMs is our BTU load. So how we determine the BTU load of the system is you take the degrees you want to drop, which is normally we use 60 degrees um, milk temperature drop we want. And you multiply that by the pounds of milk they're doing in a milking. So if it's 1500 pounds of milk and milking you multiply that by 60 and that gives you your BTU load so then we want our compressor BTU load to match that so we have to look in the performance engineering data for that compressor we get the RPMs we want so then from there we figure out 
which flywheel and uh, pull your sheave we need to match that speed. We also have to make sure our condenser is sized properly and we have to make sure that our evaporator, milk, evaporator in the milk tank, that it can handle the amount of BTUs we need. Those diesel setups um, will have digital thermostats, they'll have a 12 volt agitator motor, 12 volt condenser fan motors, everything's 12 volt. They have a nice size diesel battery, 12 volt battery. We run all our control voltages 12 volts. And then with our thermostats, normally what we do is we put a little power pack in with the thermostat. So it's like a little battery that um, when the diesel's running, it'll charge us so that the thermostat doesn't drain their battery. And then also the condenser fans, you, we have to run them off of the stop solenoid on the diesel control box. That way our fans can only have power when the diesel engine is running because what happens in the summertime if they're not wired like that and hot day, first milking in the afternoon, 90 degrees outside, the system goes and pumps down while our head pressure is still gonna be high enough that our fans are gonna be running. So we'll just run nonstop and they'll drain the battery. And then the next morning when the farmer gets up to do his next milking, he's got to jump start his battery or switch batteries out because his diesel isn't starting because our fans drained his battery. If you guys have any other questions or want to know more stuff about their refrigeration, um, you can ask me on the Facebook group. Um, you can hit me up on Instagram. Or if you want to know more stuff, you can go to the Paul Mueller Company website. Just Google search Paul Mueller Company or Paul Mueller Dairy. You can go to their website. They got some videos on there, manuals. You can read some stuff and check it out if you want to know more in-depth information. That's going to do it for this week's episode. Last week I mentioned about a Facebook group, um, the Commercial Refrigeration Pro Talk group that I was going to use for the podcast. I decided not to take that over for the podcast. So that group is Commercial Refrigeration Talk, and I created a new group, the Pull Down Podcast group, for the podcast. So there's an update on that. Um, that's going to do it for this week's episode. Have a good one, everybody.